Hello everyone, this is Dave Tilly and welcome to the first ever episode of The Shift Show where my number one goal is to bring you the tools, ideas, and the latest science to help you change gymnasts' lives. I am extremely excited that after months of work, this podcast is up and running as a way to help the world of gymnastics and give people a lot of valuable information they can use every day. Uh, I have an absolutely incredible set of episodes that I put together for the initial launch here. Uh, the first of which is uh, myself and a good friend of mine, Nick Ruddick, talking about some of the most important concepts he sees as an international elite gymnastics coach and also as someone who's consulting with multiple countries around the world. Uh, Nick and I will dive into some exact strategies and tactics that he uses to develop world-class gymnasts, uh, the things that he uses to teach countries about how they change their culture, and also his essential tips for finding fulfillment and happiness as a coach in the sport. So, but first, before diving into today's content in the episode with Nick, I want to just give people that are not familiar with me a small chunk of context on my background for the first episode, and then from here on out, we won't really touch upon it down the road. As I said, my name is Dave Tilly. I was a gymnast for 18 years here in the U.S. I worked my way up from the JL Level 10 through the college system where I competed for Springfield College. I've been coaching gymnastics now for about 15 years or in a range of all disciplines, really, from honestly starting way back in preschool all the way up through the men's and women's competitive levels, uh, compulsory kind of all the way to college. I obtained my doctorate of physical therapy in 2013, did two more years to get board certified in sports physical therapy, and then did another year after that doing a certified strength and conditioning degree. So I kind of have a pretty big range there in uh, things that I do on a daily basis. I started a company called Shift Movement Science in 2013, which was originally a blog and has now grown into quite a monster of uh, international education. It's allowed me to travel the world, thankfully, meet a lot of really cool people, and it's given me the opportunity to not only learn from a lot of international experts in different fields of gymnastics, but also it's helped me consult with people and kind of pass on what I think is going to be a new generation of our sport. So in the last five years, I've spent uh, pretty much my time across three jobs. So running my company shift, I'm treating as a medical provider anywhere between 20 to 30 gymnasts per week, and then still coaching optional gymnastics kind of on a day-to-day basis. I'm a massive nerd who loves learning quite a bit. So in the last five years, I've, I've come across books and courses and people that I, you know, I'm really fortunate to soak up a lot of their knowledge from. And I've been able to pick up a lot of information that I think has really helped the athletes that I work with, but also helped me develop more as a coach and as a medical provider and as someone who's trying to consult all around the world. So this podcast actually happened uh, by accident. I started filming some more interviews for the blog and I was trying to pass on some of the ideas that I was really lucky to learn from people. And um, around, you know, two or three episodes in, I didn't realize I had episodes yet, but essentially I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I think it's helping a lot of people. So I decided that I wanted to turn it into a full-blown podcast. So I spent some a uh, couple months researching the content and thinking about really how I want to deliver it. And uh, when I took a step back after filming a whole bunch of episodes, I was like, wow, this is a really cool compilation of things that I think are going to help people a lot. So the podcast was born, and along with kind of being a way to share my friend's expertise, I also wanted to make sure it was like a main avenue to uh, help connect with the community uh, and answer as many questions as I possibly could. I get a lot of emails and messages on social media about you know questions for gymnastics and questions for personal development, and I, I'm super flattered that people think I have an opinion for that. Um, but I really wanted to find a way to help answer some of the most common questions and some of the most, um, you know, complicated areas about training in gymnastics that people wanted to know about. And I wanted to do that in a platform that could help provide a lot of value to multiple people rather than just that one-on-one interaction with that person. So, uh, if you do want to submit any questions for future episodes, we're going to alternate weeks between interviews with friends of mine and on certain topics, and then also question and answers. We'll answer three per episode. So you can head to shiftmovementscience.com backslash podcast. Again, that's www.shiftmovementscience.com backslash podcast to submit questions on 
about anything you want to know about, you know, gymnastics, um, flexibility, strength and conditioning, culture development, personal development as coaches, uh, whatever you guys want to know about, I'm going to be happy to answer any of those questions. So We'll kind of, like I said, alternate between the longer content, like an interview with Nick today that's about an hour, and then kind of those Q&A questions that will be only about 15 minutes, 20 minutes, just so people can get a quick, you know, little bite to chew on and use throughout the day. So coming, coming back to today's episode, right? So uh, like I said, I sat down with my buddy, Nick Ruddick. Uh, I think Nick is one of probably the most influential coaches of our time currently. Uh, I've spent a lot of time talking with Nick and working with Nick and listening to his ideas. And it's, it's really cool because he has a background that spans a pretty large perspective. So he spent a few years as the national coaching you know, staff for Great Britain, and he helped Amy Tinkler to an Olympic medal. Um, and he's also, over the last five years or so, really broadened his approach to be consulting-based. So he spent time with 18 gymnastics federations worldwide, which is really incredible. That allows him to really see the you know, one-on-one tactical level of coaching to, to help with technical abilities and the pursuit of uh, gymnastics long-term. But it also helps him see a pretty large uh, bird's-eye view of the cultural level and the technical level issues that across you know the entire world people are struggling with. So that's where I really appreciate Nick. I think that him and I are very complementary in our knowledge base. So kind of what Nick can fill in as an elite coach, I don't really have experience with. And we have kind of monthly conversations on, on asking each other questions and trying to learn more. And we share a lot of our continuing education. So I think that Nick and I have uh, you know really struck a, a good relationship here between the, the boundaries of our limitations and trying to help learn from each other. But I also think between the two of us, we've seen across multiple countries and across you know helping uh, probably upwards of a thousand gymnasts between the two of us now in the last five years that we can kind of see common trends and common patterns about what people struggle with. So what I want to do today is just kind of offer this as a, as a foundational episode because we talk about a huge range of topics from you know actual tumbling and bar skills to basics, but also we talk a lot about personal development for coaches and culture development for the entire sport of gymnastics in a gym, which I think is going to be really pivotal and kind of moving our sport forward down the road. So uh, I thank you again for taking the time to kind of come on and listen to the podcast. I'm really excited for the next five episodes especially, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Nick Ruddick. All right, I am here with one of my very good friends, and I am honored to have you on my podcast for the first time ever. I think we've gone to the other way, but welcome, Mr. Nick Ruddick. Thanks very much, Dave, for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, man. How have you been? Good? Yes, I've been very good. Um, you Busy know, man. Usual schedule. I've been overseas nearly every week this, uh, <laughs> this in the last few weeks so it's just uh, yeah usual stuff on the road um a lot of site visits at the minute i um, doing a bit more uk work at the moment through to christmas so that's good right um yeah just doing my thing and you need a pilot's around. license yeah that would be nice <laughs> a pilot's <laughs> license and a little puddle jumper so you can just be your own uh travel uh yeah yeah, yeah that would be nice so you and i were uh I think many people know that we kind of share an audience, we learn a lot from each other, we have a lot of overlap in kind of how we approach our personal development and our coaching philosophies, but I think a lot of people don't know that we actually have monthly little meetings where we try to share questions and help each other out quite a bit with more like the the practical ground level stuff because you're still obviously coaching at a very high level and I, I coach every day, so we try to share a lot of that ground level information. And what I want to do in this podcast is move away from our kind of bigger meta concepts of gymnastics and stuff and offer people a lot of very practical, useful advice that I think you have a lot to offer for and that people sometimes see, again, the meta concepts, they lose the fact that you actually coach high level gymnastics every day, you know? 
So yeah, no, that sounds good. Great idea. So for the six people that maybe don't know who you are, uh, can you give people a, like a very quick elevator pitch on your background and kind of what led you to where you're doing work today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so if I go right back to the beginning of it, I was a recreational gymnast. So yep. I did gymnastics one to two hours a week, and that was it, through to the age of about 15 years old. Mm. Um, my mum's very proud of that, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's all good. Um, I had left the sport entirely for a year, and just by coincidence or by chance, a, a former, um, I guess, a teammate, if you like, that I used to train with, uh, said that he just started with the gym. You know, would I like to get a, a job as well? He was able to sort it, and I thought, okay, why not? Yeah, uh, I didn't have a job at the time, and and that was how coaching started for me. And it still mm. it started very recreationally. Mm. I coached at a recreational level for probably a couple of years. Um, absolutely loved it. Just loved that interaction. Loved that energy. Uh, loved working with the kids, mm. and that naturally progressed to you know being, I guess, kind of handpicked as a as a coach that had a little bit of ability and could potentially mentor, be mentored to work yep. with some of the artistic squads. So that's how that started, yeah, so pretty yeah. organically, really. Mm. Um, I, I knew pretty early on gymnastics was for me in terms of like what I wanted to do as a career path. Yeah. And so I, um, I was really inspired by what happened in the Athens Olympics. This kind of happened around the same sort of period okay. in 2004. Yeah. And um, I just fired some emails to people in the States. So... You know, I, want, I wanted to travel to the States. I thought that the U.S. team and what they did in Athens for me was just, you know, awesome. I hadn't seen gymnastics at that level. Yeah. Um, I got a number of responses back, and and that was it. It went from there. I mean, I was really lucky to go to Gage to work with Alfong and, and Armin May, Brutin mm-hmm. Fong. Yeah. Um, and that was my first kind of step into the real high-performance world of, of gymnastics. Sure. So although we had artistic gymnastics in, in the, the local club that I was from, it wasn't really at a, a super high level. Yeah. So stepping into a gym like Gage, and, and they just had Courtney McCool and Terran Humphrey, yeah, both yeah. the medal for the team, and to be in that environment for me was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. You know? And it, it really hit me that there's a massive world of gymnastics out there. You know, mm. I, I was still, even at Gage, I was in one club, in one state, right. in one huge country. And it, it really hit me that there's this huge, great big world of gymnastics that I'd never seen sure. and I had a lot to learn. Sure. Um, you know, that, that led to future trips to the States. I mean, I, I still travel to to Gage as often as I can, normally every year. Yep. Um, mentors to me. Uh, they connected me to, to Valeri over at Woga, and he's been a great mentor to me as well. And, right. and I guess that platform and that previous time with them um, accelerated my development as a coach. You know, I was still very young. I was I was only just in my twenties at this point. Mm. And uh, when I was twenty three, I was offered the job of national coach for the Great Britain Juniors for British gymnastics. So I had some personal coaching roles in the UK. Um, this was my first national coaching role. I think yeah, I think I was about twenty three years old. So yeah. it was pretty young to be yeah. in that role, yeah. which had massive benefits to me, but also a lack of experience sure. as well. Um, and, and that again can continue to help fast track me and. Uh, and develop my expertise as a coach mm. and uh, was giving a lot of great learning opportunities there yep. and I, I guess from from that role I, d- I did that for four years that for, for um, 2010 to 2014 where had great success with the juniors in GB um, I decided to then work more closely with an, an athlete that I was working very closely with anyway in my national coach role and that was Amy Tinkler yep. um, and obviously Amy, Amy went on to win a, a bronze medal on floor in, in Rio uh, along with a world medal in 2015 and, and you know, Europeans are on, on the way as well so you know I've been involved with Amy quite a lot throughout my national coaching role and then spent a further sort of 12 I think 13 months after my national coaching position with her specifically mm. before moving into uh, consulting 
Okay. Which is what I do now. Yeah. And this is how kind of we know, we know each other is through the platform that I've created, not only just online, but um, working with a number of different federations around the world. I've been privileged to work with, I think it's, it's 18 international federations now yeah. from the Japanese team to Brazil, um, you know, uh, you know, Italy, Romania, Germany, France, of course, GB, you know, mm. so it's, it's about 18 nations there. And, Every nation I've provided something probably slightly slightly different. A lot of the time, it's it's coach education work, it's coach development. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's direct hands on work with the athletes themselves. Uh, quite often it's strategic stuff. So I'll I'll be in and out within a couple of days, but you know I'll, I'll just sit down in a room with with the national coaching staff and the directors of performance, and, and we'll thrash out strategy. Yeah. Um, so every every nation, it's just been that a little bit different. Um, which is cool. It's diverse. That's the way that I like it. Yeah. And on the back of all that work, I've now obviously got uh, Jim Khan and my various other events and platform podcasts mm. and things that um, helps me to deliver content to to the audience. You know, I'm, I'm just a massive believer in coach education sure. uh, and and creating opportunities. You know, people like Al, uh, Armine, Valeri. Um, you know, these people changed my life. Um, yeah. Not for the, their benefit, but just just for mine. They opened up their doors. They mentored me. They still do. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. So, you know, I'd like to reciprocate that to the gymnastics community the best that I can through through a different platform in the same way that you do as well. And that's why we're here. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's cool. I don't think I've ever heard your full story. I've heard bits and pieces, but that's pretty cool to hear it from like literally the first day of coaching to mm. where you are now. It's, that's, that's awesome. And I think there's two things that I really value the most about you. One is, like I said, you you have a lot of experience and you're able to see things from a very unique point of view. You know, you see things from the, you know, world level of what is going on in all of gymnastics that's an issue or what's working or what's not working but you also see literally on the individual one-on-one with amy tinkler grinding through the trenches through those periods so i think you have a huge range of perspective and i think that's probably why people are attracted to your audio or your content but also that's kind of in the way that i kind of work on that too is like it's okay what does everybody struggle with what are a bunch of things that everyone's doing really well but at the end of the day I can help you with your shoulder surgery or I can help you mm-hmm. with your whatever it is. You know what I mean? So I think that's kind of like we said on the other side, I'd like to kind of start with saying from your experiences across whether we're working with athletes who literally just want to enjoy gymnastics, be safe, stop at high school. And that's that's just their career and they want to go on to something else. Or if they're looking to pursue Olympic medals, what do you think are like, like the essentials of a few apparatuses? So let's just start with bars, right? Like what's essential for bar success if you want to be able to safely perform things for a long time in your career? Okay, so I think that, um, you know, irrespective of what event it's going to be, actually, that, you know, and, and I know that you know this and, and probably the audience do as well, yep. everything in gymnastics comes down to just a few core positions and shapes. Sure. You know, you've got, you've got the five dimensions of a straight line that I've talked about with you before, you know, mm-hmm. can the athlete demonstrate a straight line, horizontal position, lying on their stomach, the back, in handstand, standing up and, and hanging from a bar? Yeah. Um, this to me is, is, as we would say, the basics of the basics. You know, yep. Your athletes have just got to be able to do that. Um, can they do a, a beautiful hollow position on the floor? Can they do an, an arch position on the floor? Can they transition between those elements, which is what we call in Europe a Corbett action? Yep. I think you guys might just refer to it as being a snap action. Yep. Um, and then you've got your even more basics. You know, Can they do a tuck shape, pike shape, straddle shape, yep. front support, back support, of course. Yep. Now, um, more often than not, when you've got skills which are lacking in... in um, either physical or technical competency it's normally you know you, you can come right back to those basic skills sure you know so if a, if a gymnast is doing a straight uchenko and uh, or a layout uchenko i should say for, for your side of the pond um 
you know, if, if they've got a bad shoulder angle on the strike, that, that could really stem down to the fact that they just can't open the shoulders. Yeah. So they can't demonstrate one of those dimensions of a straight line, which could right. be um, standing up with their arms elevated above the head in, in 180 degrees. You know, it really can be as simple as that. Mm. And I find that in the nature of, of how we're living now with, with social media and the sharing of ideas, um, it would seem like we're very attracted to complex concepts. Sure. Or as a matter of fact, 90% of my work is about simplifying information for coaches. Absolutely. Because we have, as coaches, we have an incredible way of overcomplicating things. And mm. at the end of the day, if a lot of coaches just line their kids up or got them to lie down on the floor and actually assessed, can can they demonstrate straight lines in all those different positions? Yeah. Have they got a textbook hollow position and arch? And, you know, have they got good body tension, stability in those positions? You know, most of them probably haven't. And whilst they might think that they're looking for a new drill to help their layout Uchenko, as a matter of fact, it's something far easier than that. Right. You know, it's just about their attention to detail and the clarity on what those basic fundamental elements are. So, I mean, obviously those shapes are going to lead to a handstand, as yep. we know, a handstand being yep. one of the most predominant important skills, certainly for bars and acrobatic skills. So, you know, a handstand being one of them. And then when we move slightly towards a little bit more technique, we're looking at, can a kid just swing properly? Yeah. And so when I, and, and you're right, what you said, I've got quite a, a unique depth of experience, you know, purely because I've seen a lot of gymnastics. You know, I've been into a lot of clubs. I've seen a lot of countries. I know a lot of systems. Mm -hmm. and I've worked with a lot of coaches. And, and I know that bars is about can the kids swing. And that sounds very, very obvious. Mm. But it is, Dave, it is obvious that, you know, when I see, a, 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 and I watch the Russians on bars, and they'll be on the metal bar or the strap bar, as we would refer to it. Yeah. And, and these are kids that can do high level skills, but they'll swing on a strap bar for 30 minutes still. Yeah. They'll still use that bar to reinforce the fact that bars is about swinging. Right. You know, right. it's not about being rigid. It's about being in harmony with the bar. And sure. that is a basic concept that coaches will often mix, mm. miss. So in my eyes, it's not the elements, the elements, the fundamental elements of bars. Okay. Kip cast a handstand, maybe do it with a turn, um, a backward giant, a forward giant, uh, giants with turns, mm -hmm. you know, a circle element. Okay, these are the basics, of right, course. Right. Um, that's clear, and, and that's that's not changed probably over the last thirty years. And I, I would imagine in another thirty years' time, it's probably not going to change either. They're still going to be the staple elements yep. which everything's taught from. Yeah. Um, but what I encourage coaches to do is to dig into the details of those basic elements, um, because I think you know you'll be it'll be tough to find. Let's say a U.S. national team member that can't do a flat handstand. Uh, a 30 second handstand and yeah. they can't hang properly underneath the bar and they can't demonstrate a perfect hollow position. Right. You're just not going to find a national team member that can't do that. And, yeah. you know, success leaves clues. Mm. We shouldn't, mm. we should, we should look into that and, and figure out, okay, look, these girl, girls are phenomenal and, and a phenomenal level of coaching has gone into that and the intensity, of course. Um, what's led to that is a program and it's a program of basics. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, we can come back around the technical stuff a little bit later, but I think that one of the yeah. reasons why you and I honestly found each other and seem to have a very good uh, joint audience is because I think we complement each other in terms of developing the basics really, really well. Because this is what I personally see from a medical side in terms of why kids get hurt, but also as to why coaches and athletes get so frustrated is for some reason, whether you maybe didn't develop those basics fully or you had those basics, they grew, they went through a lot of changes, they're doing harder skills, things in their life change, they lose some of those basics. What happens is that coaches see those fundamentals not showing up in skills, and I think rather mm -hmm. than having the tools to look a little bit more microscopically and examine why they can't do something, they just compound it with volume. They make up for 
lacking technical basics with extra volume, more reps, you know, more drills, you know, they're on YouTube, they're trying to find, they're looking in coaching groups and they're looking for, again, what I personally find is they're looking for technical solutions to very small basic problems. And I think what we've done well, which is why like with the physical preparation masterclass is we aligned from, okay, what are gymnastics basics? What are your basics, handstands, flat shapes like yep. that? And then reversing that even one more layer to what I can maybe talk about, which is, okay, if you can't get your arms over your head, believe it or not, there's a lot of reasons why you can't, right? And you have to have tools to screen those things out. And even beyond that, if you can't get your arms over your head for some sort of soft tissue limitation, you need tools to fix that first. And you know how much patience that takes to go all the way from seeing an error, breaking it down to this microscopic level. And then honestly, the patience and the discipline and the consistency to build that all the way back up to hang flat, handstand yep. flat before you do another set of Tkachev timers or, or your Chanko mm -hmm. timers. And I think that's what I really struggled with as a younger coach. And I think that's what people are need the tools for now is because if you just see somebody who can't do a skill and you just put 10 more reps on, just keep doing it, just keep doing it, you're going to hurt somebody or burn them out before you fix it. If you took a big step back and went all the way down to the first level, you'd probably be more successful. Would you agree? I'd agree. Yeah, for sure. It's that, it's that first layer. And and I would go as far as saying if a coach can teach a perfect handstand or as close to perfect as is, is possible, right. or they can teach a perfect round off, then they can teach anything. Sure. They're re like really they can because a perfect handstand is technical. There are a lot of moving parts to that. Right. You know, a round off even more so. I mean, that's like the, it's, it's the devil's skill, you mm. know. There are so many different ways that a round off will go wrong, yeah. does go wrong, and yeah. it's it's a nightmare. And we teach it very, very early. We're teaching it to, to six-year-olds, seven-year-olds. We've got an extremely complex skill, which is taught early. So um, you know, I kind of feel for coaches in totally. this, you know, coaches that are coming into the sport now, when I was in those four walls of my gym, all I was relying on was the mentorship within those four walls. Sure. I wasn't overwhelmed. When I went to Al or to work with Valeri, I wasn't overwhelmed because Facebook didn't exist. I was mm. still just um, just consuming myself with a discussion with Valeri or, or with uh, Laurent, for example, and, and learning from, from those people. Yeah. I was um, you know, videoing and studying that material myself, what right. I recorded in the gym, you know, asking the right questions. But I wasn't also adding on subscriptions to drill sites, um, scouring through YouTube, seeing things on Instagram and all that. And all of that clutter is what creates the confusion. So yeah. I, I do feel for coaches now. And I think that they just got to try and rely on one path, one direction, one good source of credible information, whether that's a, a mentor, maybe one subscription service. Mm. Uh, do, do you know what I mean? That does yeah. not get yeah. overwhelmed yeah. With, with everything. Yeah, it's like trying to drink water from a firing hose. Yeah, it's yeah. That's a very good analogy, Dave. That's a very good analogy. So it is, it is, it is difficult. It's overwhelming, I'm sure. Um, but when I think back to how this conversation started with this um, this section, you know, a handstand is a very technical skill, and so mm. being able to teach a handstand right requires, um, you know, patience. It requires planning. It requires uh, an understanding of the body. Yeah. Um, and if you can do that, you can teach a double double. At the end of the day, it's mm. the same process. Yeah. It really is the same process. And yeah. there's there's nothing more complex about a double double in my eyes than there is a teaching a round off. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you're just teaching the principles of gymnastics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's really when I kind of look at my when I listen to you or again I'm fortunate to work with a lot of people around the world on a, a college or an elite level, and you hear patterns in the way that they approach challenging situations that everybody faces. Everybody faces kids who have injuries. Everybody faces kids who have trouble with their handstand, who grow a lot and lose their ability to snap powerfully or they lose their speed. And I think there's really two elements to it that everybody listening to this should really understand what makes high-performing coaches succeed. One is just a relentless dedication to their craft, like constantly learning, 
like you said, find a subscription, pay, pay for something, find a mentor, and every day or every week sit down and say, hey, can I have an hour of your time and can you teach me this thing that I don't know, right? And this is kind of what I've done with you in our, our kind of one-on-one meetings is I just didn't have, I thought I did, I thought I had good coaching education, but I didn't really ever really get taught the exact thing I need to know. I was like, okay, th- this is not going well on, on bars or this issue is happening. What do I need to learn? And you'd be like, okay, try these drills, try this tramp, look for this shape. And I'm like, okay, I go back to the gym and I work on it. But that's a, a, that's a half of your life if you're a coach should be just relentlessly pursuing education. The other half, which I think is more important, is you really need to figure out your own personal values, morals, habits, and why you're coaching in the first place. Because I see a lot of people who maybe don't have a conversation with themselves about why am I coaching? You know, Why do I work with kids? Why do I wanna be in gymnastics? What's my goal? Like, yes, I wanna help these kids succeed and get performance-wise, but I enjoy the process of helping kids learn the values of gymnastics and grow through 10 years of success to maybe get a college scholarship. If you don't figure out your own personal why habits, morals, when a kid gets stuck at a roadblock and it's gonna be four months of rebuilding their handstand, you will not have the grit and the resilience and the patience to work with that athlete and, and really be you know, in tune to their emotional intelligence if you're frustrated about people judging you on Instagram or what your coworkers say about you or, you know, like, oh my God, we're not going to compete in this meet. She's not going to do this skill and everyone's going to be looking at me. If that's your insecurity and that's you as a coach, there's no way you're going to put the time and the effort into learning the actual coaching craft and you're never going to make it in practice for how much work this sport takes. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there's, what we've got to remember here, there's an evolution to a coach. Mm. And uh, and I know that you have you have a similar story in terms of, you know, going through uh, an egotistical period and, mm. And, 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 you know, I've been, I've been through that. I've demonstrated all, all the bad qualities that we wouldn't want a coach to have. Yeah, I've had them. Totally. But, I'm, I'm, but I'm quite honest about that. I'm quite open. I'm, I'm, um, I'm very self-aware now. I've been through a massive journey of personal development, um, fortunately. Now, that does come to down to my mindset and me wanting to dig into that. But, you know, it's, there'll be coaches listening to this at the minute, which, which yeah, demonstrate some behaviors which would, they don't want to have in five, ten years' time. And it's going to be their evolution of themselves as a person for them to get to the stage where they don't demonstrate those behaviors. But yeah. um, we, what we can't expect is young coaches, 15, 16, 17 year olds, you know, um, to have all the answers. It's just right. not going to happen. Right. What they, what we should hope for is that they've got the appropriate guidance to help those people that, sure. that if like me had a massive ego when 15, 16, 17, that there's going to be a couple of people around them to say, look, you're not quite doing this right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Can I, can I make some suggestions or, yeah. um, you know, we love your passion, but we, there's a few things here that you need to learn about the sport and about human behavior. Sure. Now I didn't really have that. Unfortunately at, at that time I had it a little bit, I had it much later on, yeah. uh, much later on. So I, I made a mess of the, the first part of my sort of career as the coach in terms of relationship building, just based on those characteristics that I had as a person. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't, what I, what I basically want to um, encourage people or to reassure them is like, don't worry if you don't have all the answers now. Mm. Um, my why when I first started coaching at 15 was not anything to do with the athletes. And that, yeah. that's okay. Like I was a 15 year old that just loved coaching gymnastics because I loved the sport and I was fascinated by the sport and the activity and I enjoyed the learning part. Yeah. But at 15, 16 years old, did I say, well, I want to be a coach to help the kids? Well, honestly, Dave, I didn't. Yeah. And that, that realization didn't happen until a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely have it now. I definitely can remove mostly my ego from, from the whole process. Mm. Mostly because we all have an ego, which is in existence. You know, that's why we're yeah. in a competitive sport and we like to achieve and we like to develop. So there's nothing, un, uh, there's nothing bad about that. Yeah. Okay. But it's the evolution, I think, which is important. And some coaches don't evolve. Mm. Some coaches don't get 
mentorship, they don't get support, they don't seek help, and they don't reflect. And I think that's where the problem really lies. Totally. When you're really exposed to uh, a group of athletes, you know, they, they have no choice off more often than not about who's coaching them. Mm. They will turn up to gym and be coached by an individual. It's our duty yeah. to better ourselves to improve the service that we're providing. Mm. And um, as long as coaches are on that journey, they're striving to be better, then that's got to be the starting point. That's right. got to be for sure. Yeah, and again, like, chances are if someone's hearing this podcast, they're probably moving towards that boat, which is a good start, you know, but it's about yes, constantly absolutely. constantly finding and seeking out, you know, how can I be a little bit better? What are the problems yeah. that I have or the athletes have and who can I help? Who can help me with those things? Um, so that's very good. And I think I just want to wrap up the, a couple of these concepts into some some practical stuff and then move on to physical preparation if you're cool with that. So absolutely. all that wraps into very well into like the concept of learning more and getting more with bars, handstands, shaping, things like that. And you said that a round off is like, the devil skill, right? And I find that too, right? It's very hard to progress if you don't have those mechanics. And it's hard because as a, you know, as a 15 year old coach, unless somebody literally breaks down all of those things for you, this is how you do it step by step. You know, you yeah. can very easily have an athlete pass through the first two years of gymnastics and really screw that up and then come to a, an older level team with you later and just have like a really funky situation. So what would you suggest? I guess we'll just say tumbling in general, right? So like beam series or, or vaulting or things like that. What are some of the basics that you would, you would say people need to really just be completely you know, perfect with teaching and picking apart when they watch somebody and tumbling to be successful. Yeah, so it comes back to those core skills again, those core positions and shapes, yep. this hollow arch. Mm -hmm. That's all got to be absolutely fantastic, right? Then, then we move on. And for me, there's like six categories of skills for acrobatics. And those those six would be uh, a round off, mm -hmm. uh, a back a back flick, or you would call it a back handspring, yep. uh, a whip. Yep. You call it a whip or a tempo? Tempo yep. in Europe, whip. but a, a whip. Um, a handspring fly spring, so mm -hmm. a, a bounder. Maybe a fly spring is a bounder, I think, for you guys. Yep. Yep. Um, and then a straight back somersault, straight front somersault. We need like Google yeah. Translate between. I know. I, it's, it's, you know. I have to bear in mind that I could be in, in Italy tomorrow. I could be in Germany the next week, in Brazil the next. So I, I've, I've got. You're like the gymnastics to... Rosetta Stone. <laughs> they sorry. don't have a gymnastics section unfortunately <laughs> yeah go on sorry um so i've become quite flexible with that but yeah so those those are the areas i'm pretty sure i got all six in there let me yep. just try that again so it was a, a round off uh, a flick a handspring uh, a whip a handspring fly spring so that's a front handspring uh bounder and a straight back and a straight front some sort so layout backwards layout forwards so there are your six categories mm. and that is your bread and butter of acrobatics now You've got to get that right. And again, if, if a coach can teach those skills brilliant, brilliantly with yeah. all the concepts of changing direction, changing rotation, um, stiffness, mm. I talk about this a lot, obviously being tighter than the apparatus. Mm -hmm. If they can teach those skills well, again, they can teach anything, Dave, right? Yeah. Because a, a straight back semisole is a complex skill yeah. if it's done properly. And, and what I mean by that is when I watch a Russian do a layout, a back layout, a round of back handspring back layout and you see it and you go okay that's how it's supposed to be done <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes you might be in your gym and you might see your kids do it and it, and it looks good and you yeah. think well there's not much i can i can do with that and then you see it actually done properly and you go yeah. oh, oh <laughs> yeah. that's how it's supposed to be done and that's where clarity comes in because uh. clarity is going to precede mastery yeah mm. so you've got to have absolute clarity what gold standard looks like if you if you're going to be able to teach it so just coming back to your question those six categories are mm. are critical in yep. isolation yep. and then all we do is we make combinations of those skills mm. so yeah round off back handspring back layout it's yep. still just using the three categories sure. uh, it might be round off whip whip back layout or yep. round off whip back layout it could be front handspring fly spring front layout you know so all, all we're doing is taking those individual elements and then making combinations of those same elements mm. And that's kind of like your tier three. So yeah. tier one is, can you do the shapes? 
Tier two is can you teach those skills in isolation? Yep. Tier three is can you then now combine those elements? Yeah, can I love you that. do your round offs with your back handsprings and stuff? And then obviously tier four above that is gonna be then you're moving into things like double somersaults, you're gonna be twisting those skills yep. and, and the elements just you start to move into a more advanced level of preparation. Yeah. But tier one, two and three, or particularly tier one and two, that's where coaches should spend most of their time in acrobatics. So right. I often say for coaches working at a development level maybe they're and these are the most important coaches in your gym if you've got kids uh who are you know let's say five all the way through 12 years old the coaches looking after those they've got the most important job that athlete is going to make it through to a, a level nine ten and elite stage okay so mm. it's really important that the coaches working at that level have got the greatest level of understanding of how to teach those basic elements right and this is where there's a bit of a hypocrisy we call them basic elements but they're not basic at all yeah they, they have to be taught at such a level of detail that it takes them towards being quite complex yeah Okay. And so you can you can teach a handstand. Any any kid can do a handstand, right? Stand on your hands, go against the wall, lean in a block. Yeah. Okay, that's a handstand. Cool. That's not a high performing handstand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when you step into the world of a high performing round off and a high performing back uh, back handspring and a high performing back layout, now we're we're actually getting pretty complex. Yeah. Okay. So coaches listening to this or watching this or however this is going to be shown, I would I would say look, just understand the details like learn as much as you can about a core group of, of basics right be world class at teaching a round of back handspring back layout and everything else is going to fall into place so right. much easier right yeah yeah no that's great advice and i think that uh it moves into kind of what you and i have shared as understanding is one of probably the most important areas of what we do and there's there's two elements that i'd like you to kind of touch on so one is understanding the role of physical preparation and you know you've always said and i kind of take this philosophy too that about 30 percent of your time should be based in some sort of physical preparation, whether that's the shaping and that's the actual like, you know, shaping development or that's leg strength or that's plyometric and stiffness. So I think that from my point of view as a medical provider and as someone who's now working in the strength conditioning kind of consulting world is that the sport has gotten so hard. The equipment's become so advanced. The, the level of uh, the number of years that kids are involved in sports, you know, it no, it no longer is the uh, 14, I'm, I'm on my way up, 16, I hit my peak, and then I'm, I'm going to wrap it up and move on. People, I mean, 26, 27, 28, we have this huge long career of people that are in the sport longer. So that being said, if the skills are harder and the equipment's more advanced and kids are at a younger age, you have to really approach, in my opinion, that like 8 to 13-year-old window as like your foundational building phase. Like if you want someone to be successful in high school and beyond, you can't push them that hard in 12, 13, 14 because they're going to break before you get them to any sort of, you know, learning these basic shapes and safely performing them. And I see tons and tons of kids who hit the gas pedal so hard when they're from 10 to 13. They get to level 10, they try to go elite, they fall apart by 14, and that, and then they they just kind of trickle throughout the rest of the career. And it's really sad for me to see that because I think that we're seeing the sport can evolve to be so long in terms of if you do your physical preparation right, you learn these basics, you learn these skills, and you survive puberty and 15 and on, you can have 10 more years of success. So I guess back to my question is, what are, what are some pillars of physical performance that are essential to you? And on that backbone, everybody has the same question for me is, well, my kids don't want to work hard and my kids don't want to put the, the work and they want to just do skills. They want to trick themselves. They want to just throw skills. So how do you approach the what is important in physical preparation and then tips for coaches and athlete, you know, teaching this as a cultural thing that this is essential for you to do if you want to be high performing. Yeah. So, you know, we've got to think right back to what's the purpose of physical prep in the first place? Because mm -hmm. gymnastics is a physical sport. So right. Why do we need to spend additional time doing, right. you know, boxing this as a category of physical prep? Well, one thing is, as, as we know, physical prep is there to protect the athlete. Sure. So it says just to, to make them uh, robust enough and strong enough to, to tolerate the, the demands of the sport. So mm -hmm. it's, it's there to protect. It's also there to optimize the body. 
Okay, so without physical preparation, the body will always underperform against its potential. And that doesn't matter who, who an individual is in the world, whether they do gymnastics or not. Going to the gym, being fitter, being stronger is going to help them move better, right. move easier, um, use less energy when they're moving and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. You made a couple of really good points there about the fact that um, puberty is a really important time, particularly for girls. Sure. Because puberty comes at a bad time in terms of when they're most still acquisition. Yep. So with puberty starting pretty early on, you know, we're talking, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old. Mm. Ideally, we get strong foundation of physical growth prior to that period. Yep. Okay. To try, yep. you know, before they start these growth spurts. Yep. And we, we've got to get as, as, um, We've got to get a solid foundation before that begins. And if we, we miss that opportunity, that window of opportunity, mm-hmm. then inevitably the gymnast is going to really struggle whilst they're going through that, that um, yeah. period because Absolutely. they're going to be growing at the same time of, you know, they're going to be getting stiffer. Yep. They're going to be probably getting weaker. Yep. Uh, yet you're the one pushing the skills and the volume of training as well. And, and, you know, yeah. and then you've got the hormone response as well. It just becomes a mess. Yeah, it's a nightmare. So you've got that block of time. And you mentioned there the, you know, between eight and 13. I would come down more than that. You know, I'd say we're looking at looking at seven to 10 yep. being like critical, yep. absolutely critical. Yeah. And, and then we can start some level of strength training can begin when they're 11, 12 years old. Like, yeah. well, I want to get that block in before they really start to grow. Right. Because that block of strength training is going to be their foundation and it's going to pull them through their growth period. Totally. And out the other side. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it develops their robustness and, well, I'm preaching to the choir here, but no. yeah. And, and that's, and then again, not to interrupt you before you go on, but that's definitely been supported by the latest IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and the uh, consensus statements across the world is that one, it's safe for kids to do this type of training when they're younger. And two, that that is one of the most effective tools to long-term athletic development. And if you want to go to the national team when you're older, you have to manipulate that time of building block in the, in the earlier to not specialize them too early or, or kill them with sport-specific skills to make them robust enough to move on. But go ahead. Yeah, well, that's good that we can back that up as well. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that coaches really struggle with is this whole conversation about volume of training. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaches always want more, and mm-hmm. I get it. Um, I want more. I want the kids to do more reps, but I want them to do more reps safely. Mm. I want them to do more reps without compromising um, the risk of injury. So we yep. want to. So, we, so in order to mitigate injury, we need them to be able to tolerate volume. Now, if you introduce volume and a harder work ethic when they're 13, 14 years old, that is really difficult. Yeah. Because they will have objections to that. And that's only natural. They're in that period of, of their development as a character as well, that they might rebel against it. They yeah. might not want to work hard. It's like, oh, God, the coach yeah. wants me to do more. Yeah. You know, so again, just like physical preparation, you come back into your, your question around culture. We've got to teach those principles early on. Sure. That when that athlete, sorry, not even an athlete, when that child walks through the door when they're five, six, seven years old, it's there that you're teaching the foundations of what it means to work hard. Mm. And if by the time they come to being 10 years old, they've done three years of, of a good volume of training, uh, they've now been taught um, taught well, good basics, but they also understand the importance of work ethic, yeah. communication, yeah. Um, goals, and all, all that kind of stuff, then actually that, that will see them through 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. So yeah. what I find is a lot of coaches, they won't do that early work, mm. yet they'll expect the, the work ethic later on when mm. it matters most. Right, right, right. It's too late. So, so human behavior is interesting. I mean, I'm fascinated by it. I know you are too, but yep. to try and change behaviors, <clears throat> excuse me, changing behaviors is really complex. It's far easier to teach it right in the first place. Mm. Ch- changing a round off, Dave, is hard enough. Yeah. Teaching a round off properly in the first place, okay, takes time, yeah. but it's worth it long term. In the same way that teaching good work ethic takes time, but it's worth it long term. Mm. 
Right. So I think it's, it comes down to like how proactive are you at teaching, not teaching motivation, but facilitating a motivational environment? Yeah. How proactive are you at, at teaching them and reinforcing the connection between work ethic and results? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's the key. Mm. Yeah, and that's the missing link for, for a lot of different coaches. Standard gap. Mm-hmm. Because we've got we've got what we call uh, world class, which is your your gold medal benchmark, um, and and a coach working at that level will have absolute clarity on what they want. They'll have purposeful practice for their training sessions, which means there's an objective to them. Um, they will have high expectations and behaviours, which are clearly prescribed to the athlete, and everyone knows what they are. Yeah, and they'll be held accountable for them. So that's a coach working at a world class level. At the very very lowest performing level, you've got coaches that don't demonstrate their own high standards of behaviours. They might be sitting down. Yeah. Excuse me. They might turn up for training without a plan. They might be disorganised. Um, you know, they don't even they don't demonstrate the characteristics that they expect of their athletes. Right. Um, there's no goals to training. It's just flavour of the day. You know, whatever that that coach wants. And there's very little clarity on what they're actually looking for anyway. Yeah. Um, so, and then we've got the standards gap, which is that area in the middle, which is where most coaches sit. Yeah. Most coaches don't sit right at the bottom. Most coaches don't sit at the top, apart from the world class. Most coaches sit in, in the in the middle area there. Mm. So, it's about understanding. And, and this is easy to do, Dave. This is really easy to do. Yeah. You know, go find your your closest high performing environment and go and sit and watch for a day. Yeah. So for me, that was that was Gage. Mm. You know, that was Woga. Mm. And now, of course, it's a different gym every week. I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do that. But I'm I'm spending my life in high performance environments. So of course, that's going to rub off on me. Yeah. So for coaches listening to this that don't leave their four walls, and if their four walls are not at the moment working at a high performing level, then of course, they're going to just adopt the same concepts, the same work ethic, the yeah. same level of energy, which is already in that place. Yeah. And, and this is where we've got to define the difference between high performing and high performance. Yeah. You don't need to be high performance, means working in elite end to demonstrate high performing behaviors. Right. That's great. And a high performing coach would be someone who's active, energetic, engaging with the athletes, in tune with their athletes, demonstrating the right body language, communicating a message well motivational they are high performing behaviors which will lead a club to later have results that are higher performance level mm. okay so i think there's a bit of a paradigm shift for, for coaches there that often talk about they coaches aspire to go to the olympics but if you want to do that you've got to demonstrate behaviors that olympic coaches have sure and you've got to do that now you, you do that now and then you get there mm. rather than you get there first yeah you know? and then it shows up yeah, you don't get, you know, Amy Borman's not like, oh, now now I'm, I'm worthy of the title <laughs> yeah. of having Olympic characteristics. No, she had those yeah. many years before she, you know, Simone went to the Olympics and, and won all these World Olympic medals. Mm. Okay, so yeah. it's, I've probably gone off on a tangent here. No, Sorry, great. I tend to do that. You know, I'm passionate about like this it. stuff. I like it. Yeah, and, and like you said at the beginning, I've, I've seen so much now in terms of thousands of gyms, you know, loads of different countries, loads of systems. And I do see this, this, this basic common themes yeah. It doesn't matter if I'm in Brazil, Germany, Japan, Australia. Like again, human behavior is pretty much the same. Yeah, you know, we've got the same drivers. Kids yeah. have got the same needs, mm-hmm. which is to be inspired, to be in an environment which fuels them, to uh, to con- contribute, to grow as an individual. So it, it doesn't matter what country you're in; we all have those needs. Right. And as coaches, we need to fulfill those needs for the kids. Right. If you've got resistance to programs, so you know you've got a kid that doesn't want to work hard, and I think you mentioned that was one of the questions that yeah. you've had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's obviously a cultural thing. Mm. And I look to the environment. I don't look to the athlete. I don't necessarily look to the program. Mm. You know, so coaches are always saying to me, how can I make this fun? Well, you can't, so stop trying. Yeah. If, you re- yeah. if you really want to make it effective yeah. as it needs to be, then I'm sorry, it's not going to be enjoyable. Yeah. You know, is, is a thousand round-offs a week enjoyable? 
No. Mm. Is it required? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So we, and I'm not saying that gymnastics isn't fun. That's not what I'm saying, but there are parts of gymnastics, which are just spit and sawdust, like just get in, get the job done, do the work. Mm. And, and, and eventually if you've got the right environment, the athletes will not necessarily enjoy the exercises mm. and the program mm. that enjoy that sense of fulfillment and achievement from doing it. Yeah. Okay. So, so I was in Germany last week. I was working with, um, uh, Sarah Vozzi, uh, sorry, Sarah Voss, we call her Vozzi, um, who's a national team member. She competed in Doha and I had a great four days with her. And at the end of one of the days, she goes, Nick, you really pushed me today. Yeah. And she laughed as she said it. And you know what? And that was a cool moment for me. Cause yeah. I was like, yeah, I did. And you know what? She enjoyed it. Yeah. She, and, and don't get me wrong throughout the session. I knew I was right on the edge. You mm. know, she, I could read her body language. I was putting her out of comfort zone, doing something new that she wasn't comfortable with, but, but she was totally safe. Yeah. And, and, and when she said that to me, she basically meant, yeah, physically and mentally, you really pushed me today. She didn't enjoy the bits that we were doing, but when she left the gym that day, she loved it. Yeah. She knew that sense of accomplishment. And I think that coaches should strive for that as opposed to trying to make the, the burpees and the squat jumps and the squats fun. Yeah. How can I make this a game? You can't. Not yeah. really practically. Yeah. Maybe once every month you can. Okay. And that's just my opinion, Dave. That's no, just I, my I perspective. There I will agree. be coaches listening to this saying, well, I can make my conditioning fun all the time. Fantastic. That's really good. If you can do that, that is amazing, but it's not something that I've seen. I'll be honest with you. It's not something that I've seen. Um, and then leading to results at a high performance level. Yeah. I'll stop talking more. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, this is, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gold dust, as you say. Um, and so I think this really parallels well to kind of an earlier point you made is there's there's two aspects to this that I see um, as the most common, like the easiest way to, to, to screw this up. There's two ways to it. So one is that you can not spend time mastering your craft. You need to learn about periodization. You need to learn about the anatomy and the science of strength conditioning. You need to understand why certain exercises cause certain exhaustion and, and that riding that thin line of adaptation, which is again, what you did is you said, I was there. I knew, I knew what I was planning. I was watching her. I was here. It wasn't here are these exercises, go do it. I'm going to sit on the block and I'm going to yell at you uh, when you're not going fast enough, right? Anybody can make somebody get hot and sweaty. It's different if somebody can make a training adaptation and really specifically plan. So I see on that point of view is that a lack of dedication to understanding the craft of strength and conditioning and physical preparation is where a lot of people fall off the wagon. And again, you could argue that's a lack of coaching initiative. That's a lack of good information. Again, firing hose analogy. But the other way that I see this fall off the wagon, the most commonly, and this is something that I've worked through and I, I think has been successful in a lot of gyms that we work with, is the easiest way to not create an environment where kids want to work hard is to have a huge gap between what you say and what you do. Okay, mm -hmm. If you say you need to work hard, you need to push yourself, you, know, you need more motivation, and then you're not taking care of yourself, right, or you're not representing being healthy and putting in the work, right? The best thing I've ever done is work out with my athletes one time per week. I write brutal strength programs because I understand how important it is, but it's very different when you're sitting on a block barking orders or when you're sweating your butt off and you're panting on the ground next to them and they're saying like, wow, he really gets it, right? I'm not saying that everybody here needs to, you know, drop and start doing giant straps and stuff like that. I'm just saying, but like <laughs> scale, the, scale the exercises down and do it with the kids. Show them that you understand that you're taking care of yourself, right? And if you, the other way that the say-do gap is existent is not in physical expression, but is, is what you say. If you say, guys, we're going to do five rounds of this circuit, six exercises, blah, blah, blah. And then at the very end of it, you, you think that some kids aren't like getting there and say, okay, let's do two more rounds, two more rounds. And they're like, what? You said five. I don't want to do like you said five. I prepared for five. And now all of a sudden you're doing seven. And they say, why are we doing more? It's like, well, because I said so, because I'm the coach and because I said so. And it's like, you can build so much resentment fast in your athletes 
if you do that, right? If you come in without a plan, like you said, the flavor of the day, try some pull-ups, try some rope climbs. And the athletes yeah. are like, man, this, this person's full of crap. Like they have no idea what they're doing. It's gonna be really hard to build trust and you have to communicate with them. If you don't actively talk to someone and say, how are you feeling? Are you, are you sore or are you hurt? Are you tired? And you don't adjust based on what they need. If they come in trashed and you're like, too bad, it's Tuesday, we go hard on Tuesdays, all four events and physical prep program, they're like, oh God, I feel awful. You're not gonna get anything out of them, right? There's a recent study that just said you need 24 to 72 hours at least to prepare yourself to recover in gymnastics well. But if you don't listen to your athletes and they're like, God, my legs are destroyed. Everyone's legs on the teams are destroyed. And you're like, okay, maybe we'll switch to core and upper body. We'll give you another day to recover. We'll go light on tramp today. Wednesday, we'll hit it hard instead of Tuesday to give yourself more time. Like building that trust with athletes and understanding giving them a light day or giving them time off to recover. When you say that to them, like, oh God, he un- he gets it. He understands. He does it. You know, he or she knows what health and fitness is about. They, they're open to communication. They have a plan. I'm more opt to buy in motivation wise than, you know, someone who's just willy nilly going about their business, sitting on a block yelling at me. That's not going to work. So yeah, I'm in agreement for sure. I think all those things are things that you and I have gone through, and it's just things that I see constantly go wrong with people. Um, and I think that's kind of where people have the best opportunity to create motivational athletes. And I think that the hardest thing it is is it takes so much patience. The book that you and I read that's great, The Culture Code, I took away the biggest is, is the, the micro events, right? It's not about mm-hmm. always uh, having something awesome to say. Sometimes it's about just showing up and just doing the work, right? As a coach, stand there. Be patient can every single day. Show up on time, have a plan, and don't let your ego get in the way. And just say, guys, I know it's hard. We're here to work, and I'll, I'll be here with you the whole way. But that over six years, every single day, in and out, is what builds trust in your athletes and performs, creates the environment where they're going to do it on their own. They're going to be motivated. They want to do the work. It sucks, but I'll do it because I understand work equals results, and that's what I kind of want to get to. Yeah. You know? So the last thing we'll talk about here and then we'll wrap it up is kind of pulling all this all together is uh, the season is coming up around where I am right now. And uh, the other big question that I have for people uh, that people give to me is they, they wonder, you know, first of all, everybody thinks that nobody has their injuries. Every athlete, every gym has people who start to get injuries, start to kind of get cranky during season. It's just the way that our sport goes. But the problem that I see is that when those initial hints of injury come up, like, ah, my wrist is really more sore than usual or like, you know, Nick, my back's kind of been bothering me more. It's it's not sore. Like, it kind of really hurts, you know, and it's in season. There's a meet coming up. We have routines coming. And many, many coaches and athletes have a common um, inability to share vulnerability in the fact that it's it's happening, right? And that, like, embrace reality and deal with it. Your, your back is sore. We're going to pull back. So what do you have for advice to people in season to kind of manage injuries when they come up or create an environment more so where athletes feel trust and they feel uh they can speak up about their injuries or something i'm really tired something's going on what do you give because again you've seen this the higher you get in sports for gymnastics the more you face these problems of injuries and kind of over your stuff so what do you have for people as advice to that well i'll start with the second part and it comes down to the environment that you create again mm-hmm. so with regards to um athletes feeling like they can approach the coach and communicate those those kind of things um you, you've really got to look back to how those kids were treated and uh, encouraged to speak when they were little. Yeah. Because as you know, a lot of our values and our character, and that's developed actually very, very young. Um, and therefore the behaviors that those those kids will demonstrate in the gym, they are learned behaviors based on the, the years that they've been in the gym for. So if they're coming in at yeah. six years old, you know, you've now got a 13 year old that won't talk to the coach. Well, you know, 
you know, that kid didn't do any gymnastics before they've come to the club. So there's got to be something that's happened in the gym, like a learnt behaviour, yeah. which is leading them to, to not dis- discussing things. And that could be that, yeah, maybe there's a lack of trust with the coach, doesn't trust that the coach is going to have empathy. Mm-hmm. And empathy is a really important skill to have as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that in previous occasions that they've approached the coach just as they've been encouraged to, but they've been shut down. You know, yeah. stop, stop complaining. You've done yeah. nothing. Get them, you know, just get it done. Um and that stuff, that's that's easier set, you know, that's easy to do. We've all done that as coaches, you know, we've gone, this kid's faking it. Mm. Um, but it only takes one or two moments like that. And and the, yeah, it doesn't matter what you say to the kid, she ain't gonna say anything to you. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's not gonna say anything to you. They're gonna yeah. keep their mouth shut because they just think that it's the safest option. Yeah. I'll just say that I'm fine, I'll just get it done. It's, it's a lot less hassle. So I think um, the values, the philosophies of the club in terms of, okay, what's our process here? Like, how do we encourage kids to talk about it? Mm-hmm. You know. So, you, yeah, ask the question. Um, some kids don't like to communicate verbally. You might need to create an alternative platform for them to do it. There's loads of apps and things that you can create these days that, yep. uh, you know, before the kids even turned up to the gym, you already know how they're feeling, what their mood is, what their sleep quality yep. is like. And yep. there's all sorts of different platforms. But ultimately, it's just going to come down to, do you have a caring coach? You know, does your coach demonstrate empathy? Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that just because the kid has come to you and said, my back's hurting today. And what I'm not saying, guys, and the coach is listening, is that that means that the, that the gymnast is automatically not having to do training. That's not what we're saying. And right. I think if you can listen to a kid who says, my back's a bit sore, they say, cool, thanks for letting me know. Um, what do you think you can manage today? Mm. They, they might say something. You might think that they need to do a little bit more, quite rightly so. And so you say that this is where the negotiation comes in. You say, look, um, that sounds good to me, but would you mind just doing an extra two? So, so you wanted to do two. Do you mind just doing four for me? Yeah that's half of your program and the chances are they're going to say, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. And then you could say, but if it is really bad after, after, the, after the first one, do let me know and we'll just, we'll just change that for something else today. Right. So what you've done is you've addressed the problem. You've, you've maintained your relationship. Uh, you found a solution, but you've also given her the option or him. I keep saying her cause I teach girls, but yeah. uh, him or her, yeah. the option to, to bring it up again, if it's still not right. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the time when we have these discussions, coaches probably think we're being a bit fluffy and it's like, oh, my back's hurting. Okay, go home. Yeah, 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 not at all. Okay, don't do any gymnastics. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. That's, not, that's not realistic. Remember, yeah. we, need to, we need to prepare them for the sport. And, yeah. you know, again, take a, a, okay, ultimately a higher level athlete that is, they might do back-to-back competitions. I mean, look at someone at the world. Yeah, and I know that's a super high level, which won't apply <laughs> yeah. to many people listening. But at a time that they've done uh, a few weeks of trials, then they get there, they've got, they're demonstrating, of course, routines every single day on hard surfaces. There's no soft crash mats. Mm-hmm. They're then doing a qualification competition. If you're in the States, well, there's a very good chance you're going to go qualification, team final, all around, plus operators finals. And and you've got to do that on back-to-back days or maybe only 24 hours in between. So, yeah. you know, we've got to prepare them for that. It's yeah. not just, okay, we know the legs take five days to recover. We're going to give you five days. Yeah. There are times when you need to do stuff every single day. Totally. But... but yeah, but creating the communication and the relationship, that's just about being a caring coach and yeah. not shooting your kids down and um, and just being sensible. Yeah, yeah and I would because say if too... The athlete knows, sorry, sorry Dave, if the athlete knows that you really have got their best interests in mind, totally. then they're not, they're not going to worry about having these conversations with you. And, and if I look to some of the truly high-performing coaches that I know, their kids will, will straight away open the mouth and say, my, my back's a bit sore, do you mind if I do something else? Yeah. Cool, what yep. can we do? Yeah. Totally, because they have joint trust and joint respect for each other, right? Yeah. And I think that uh, the advice that I would give to people kind of from the many, many medical situations that I'm in where people are asking about how to approach this is from a coaching point of view, you need to have a proactive, again, micro events every single day. If you remember that, you know, 
Julia's wrist is sore and you let it go for like, okay, well, today just pull your numbers back, maybe go on tramp for the end of the practice. But then you just never address that again and you just hope it goes away. Every day in warm up, you should be walking around like, hey, I know, are your wrist okay? You feeling good, guys? How you doing? You okay? Your, is your back all right? Like I remember two days ago, you said it was bothering you and they're like, oh yeah, I'm fine now. It's good. But like just that little seven seconds, like, wow, yeah. my coach really cares about me. My coach, I'm on my coach's mind. I'm not just like, a, oh, you're hurt. Pfft, good luck. Go over in the corner and then I'll, I'll focus my attention on some other people who are not. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets hurt. Everybody gets sore. And I think the other thing that's really important for for me from a medical point of view is that if you do have athletes that have those issues and stuff like that, it's it's a dual partnership and you learning more about how to help them and you giving them accountability for them to help themselves, right? And this is what I always tell the girls that I coach. I say, okay, Today, we're going to just do four and we're going to move on because I know you're sore. We'll address it again later. But you got to make sure the end of the event, can you spend 10 minutes on this program that you know we've, we've downloaded for you from Nick or from somebody else? Can you do that by the end? Because you got you to do this on your own or come to practice 10 minutes early and take care of yourself. Call your mom. You know, Go with your mom at home. Call, it, call the physical therapist. Call the physio and schedule an appointment because if we don't address this now, it's not going to go away. Right? And when you have conversations with athletes and coaches, and this is what I do with everybody, right? I always skew it towards performance, right? Nobody wants to be hurt. I get it, right? But if you talk about, well, this is going to prevent your injuries, you might get some, some guys like, okay, well, if we fix your, your shoulders because that's what's causing your wrist to hurt, you get a better Yurchenko, you get a faster whip onto the table, you get better tumbling. So if let's take a month and really fix this holistically so that your gymnastics goes above and beyond because you can do more volume because you're not hurt, but we're going to fix the real reasons why you're hurt in the first place. Mm. Maybe you need some more core strength for your back. Maybe your hips are super tight. Maybe you're just, you know, not back, you know, tumbling the right way. Maybe you're using your back and you need to learn to use your butt a little bit more. Those little things are performance markers as well. And so people can really grasp onto that more that this is going to help you long term, not just I'm not going to be hurt all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, we're right in the button. I know you're a busy man and you have another podcast backed up to the end of this. So just quickly uh, plug uh, where people can find you and uh, the sure. best place to uh, get your information should they want to. Uh, okay. Best place would be nickruddock.com. Mm-hmm. So it's N-I-C-K-R-U-D-D-O-C-K. Um, I have my own podcast, Gymnastics Growth Show. Um, but on, on the website, there'll be all sorts of information, my upcoming events. So Gymcon is an annual event that will be taking place June the 2nd. So people can find out about that. Mm-hmm. So there's links to the podcast, content, blog. It's it's all there. And uh, on social media, it's uh, either Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Uh, it's all just Nick Ruddock Great. handle. So, so nice and easy. Yeah. So, all right. uh, yeah, there we go. Thanks. Appreciate that. That was great, man. I appreciate your time and I appreciate all that you've taught me. So thanks so much. And I'm looking forward to definitely the next year of working together. Absolutely. No problem. Pleasure. Thank right. you very much. See you, bud. All right, guys, thank you so much for your time and your attention. I appreciate you tuning into The Shift Show. I hope that you got a lot of information out of this episode. If you want to learn even more about the concepts inside this episode, be sure to check out the show notes where I've included some more information. You can head over to shiftmovementscience.com to get tons more free content, or you can also head over to any of my social media accounts where I offer lots of free content for all these ideas. If you found this podcast helpful, I would really appreciate it if you headed over to iTunes and rated and reviewed this, as well as passed this on to your community members so that they can have the same ideas and tools that you have. Uh, If you have any questions or want to reach out to me about certain topics, probably the best way to do that is through social media and I will do my best to help you out. Have a great day.
Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to that episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it and got a lot of value out of it. I just want to let you know before we sign off here that a couple things we'd love for you to do. So one is please just make sure that you rate and review the podcast on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you're listening, because that really does help the episode grow quite a bit. And then second, if you really enjoyed this episode, we would love if you left us a review as well and told us what you liked about it. You know, what information was useful, what things were not useful, would you like to know more about, what guests you want to have on in the future. And then also as you kind of go about your day, if you found something really useful, just toss it up on social media. We love to hear from people on Instagram or Twitter or, you know, all the different websites that they're using for social media. Facebook is great too. But yeah, let us know what you like because honestly, the podcast comes from people who just tell us what they're finding useful and that's how we create the next set of content. So yeah, tag us in the podcast or tag us online, whatever you're doing it and uh, let us know what you think. Thanks.